you know, there's a lot of Ernest movies. It's so funny how big this thing was that nobody remembers now. <laughs> but uh, there were, like, Tom Green. Like, nobody fucking can appreciate, like, unless you're our age or older, nobody can appreciate how fucking popular Tom Green was at a point in time. episode of the MacGuffin podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are surviving whatever it is that we're in right now in San Diego, California. That's right. Uh, Cassidy Robinson, you are broadcasting from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we are talking about Feels Good Man as the main review today. And at the end of the podcast for our streaming homework, we're reviewing uh, the Robert Altman film um, Images from 1972, which is streaming on Shudder uh, right now, if you're a Shudder subscriber. Um, That's right, because we are in Lightning Crash, dun-dun-dun, Horror-tober... Yes, we are filming this on the 30th, but I'm sure you are watching this or listening to this uh, well into October. So Yeah, there's no way you could release this tonight. And uh, I know last night was the first of hopefully no more presidential debates, um, and I don't want to talk about it, um, so I'm going to... I'm going to bring Yeah, up. I didn't I didn't even watch them. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, uh I'm going to do what I did last night to escape and find solace in the the most wholesome parts of the internet, which is uh cute animal videos. Okay. Okay. So, do you follow any any cute animal Instagram? Um, cuz I have a few Yeah. A few genres of Instagram that I'm into. I, for anyone who doesn't know, all I use my Instagram for is my record collection. I've like even branded. I don't even have a picture of myself on there. Um, so all it is is just a, a record show and tell for me. But besides that and some of the famous people, I'm vaguely interested in seeing their stuff or whatever. I, I do follow a lot of animals or people who own exotic animals. Exotic like... Joe Exotic? The closest I get to a Joe Exotic account, because I will say, you know, the whole Tiger King thing did definitely ruin, like, you know, people playing with big cats for me. Okay, Um, that's good. Yeah. But the one big cat I still follow is uh, Messi the Cougar, who lives in that apartment in uh, Russia. Oh, okay. It's yeah, like that's he, sketchy. It's he's. Uh, I think it's a he. Messi is a like a, a was the runt of the litter or whatever, and this you know um, Russian hipster couple have him on a leash like a dog, um, and it's uh it's an adorable it's an adorable follow. I will say they like pet his belly and he purrs and stuff like that, um, and they give him little baths and things like that. Uh, so Messi is one of mine, but do you have any? Oh. Uh, there's a few cat accounts I follow. Um, you know, pretty. Uh, I can't even think of their names, but they're just like really pretty cats, um, regular cats, not big cats. Yeah, yeah, they're House just like. Cats. Uh, well, one of them is like a guy who takes his cat on adventures with him, so it's like a lot of, you know, like um, cat in photography 
or cat in nature photography kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so that's Instagram, but I mean, if we're talking animal accounts, have you seen the raccoon guy on YouTube? Tito the raccoon? No. No, oh, uh, are you talking about the guy who feeds them? Yeah, the guy who nope. just, like, sits on his porch and feeds them a bucket of hot dogs? Yeah, I follow that guy on Instagram, too. Um, oh, he's on Instagram? Oh, great. Yeah, he, uh, he posts on... I, Tito the raccoon is the one I follow on YouTube. He also has an Instagram account. Unfortunately, Tito ran away a long oh. time ago. But uh, they already had Cheeto, which was like a smaller raccoon that they were. I I know Cheeto the raccoon, so yeah. I must have I must have only picked it up during the Cheeto years. Well, now yeah. I think they even have a, another one. Um, well, uh, now so it's, it's getting like to young... be a problem. It sounds. <laughs> well, I think they're like they're, they're low key an animal sanctuary in their backyard. Of it's... Okay, because they they got some ferrets and stuff too. But um, yeah, Did Cheeto. You know? I forget. I don't know the name of the the newest one, the, the baby one they have. Um, the other things I follow on Instagram, do you know Smudge Lord? You might not know him by name, but you definitely know him. Mm. Mm. All one word. Smudge Lord is the famous cat from the uh, housewife screaming at a cat sitting at a table meme. Oh, okay. What the fuck is that? Like that meme... In, I mean, we'll talk more about memes later in the episode because we're uh, our review for this week the is the reviews, 2020 yes. documentary "Feels Good Man." Right. Um, uh, but that meme in particular perplexed me because it spun out of its original context so fucking fast mm-hmm. that I have no idea what like the what it was even referencing. I don't then, know if it was referencing. The first I saw was on Twitter, and somebody just juxtaposed those two images and said something to the effect of, like, I can't get over how funny these two pictures are next to each other or something like that. And then okay. that just got shared like crazy. And then but all of a sudden, people started putting on their own context for whatever that means or to replace so one of the characters. Fast. Yeah. So quickly did it spiral away from... Just a woman yelling at a cat, which is weird enough. <laughs> uh, but it, like, it got so far removed that it's barely recognizable as a meme anymore. I don't know. Yeah, we will that talk one's... a lot about that. We will talk about the evolution of memes is a very interesting thing. Um, yeah. And especially on Twitter, it's just, uh, you know, everything's minute by minute. So old news, well, something becomes old news in five or six minutes. One of the topics that I wanted to bring up, uh, and we'll come up with some fun stuff uh, throughout October that's uh, horror film related, is the idea of the uh, horror film's training wheels. A lot of people talk about, like, what are the best horror films to get into horror and things like that. But I think even maybe more important than that is what you end up seeing as a kid that sort of develops your palette for horror later in life. And it might not even necessarily be a horror film in the most uh, strictest sense of the word, Um, but something that kind of develops that part of your brain that, you know, A, seeks that sort of material out, and B, makes it less scary for you later on. So uh, each of us are going to come up with three. And uh, I had us pick five just in case we step on each other's toes as far as our picks go. Um, but I'll let you start. What is What do you have for 
uh, horror film training wheels. And by kid, I guess I mean anywhere between five to 13 years old like that. Yeah, which is a huge fucking window, man. There's a huge difference between a five-year-old's view of horror and a 13-year-old's view. Right, but I think by the time you're five, six, seven years old, maybe even more so seven, but by the time you're there, you know what, like, you're not watching Caillou. You're not watching just, like, things that are colorful and, you know, stimuli, baby stimuli. You're actually watching things (laughs) with a story. Um, and by the, by the time you're 13, you're pretty much ready for the real thing. As far as I'm concerned, if you're ever going to be ready, it's probably around there when you turn into a teenager and you want to challenge yourself with, with more explicit material. Um, that's the window. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for my first pick, I actually went with, uh, something that we watched, I think last year, um, because, if you go back to our review of this, I I think this is exactly what we said of it. Um, I'm talking about Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, uh, which was produced by Guillermo del Toro. I don't remember who directed it. Um, I don't either. And I remember, like, when we watched it, it, it's not a great movie. Like, it falls short of a lot of stuff. But I think it would be a great movie... I, I think for that sort of age range, um, especially someone who might already be a little interested in horror, it is definitely a great transition to horror because it has a lot of genuinely pretty freaky imagery, mm-hmm. um, but with a plot that's not so sophisticated that it's going to lose a, a little kid. Like, I think it's meant for a younger audience. Um, and I think it's, I think it can provide some pretty, pretty good young adult scares without being like completely insulting. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I didn't love it as a movie, you know, to be totally honest. I thought it was like, I I mean, I guess. Yeah, but you're 30, not 13. Right, exactly. It was, for me, it wasn't quite scary enough and it was a little... I didn't love, like, the mechanics of the story. And also, I just had such a vivid idea of what that project should be before it ever got released. Um, And it just wasn't that. But I agree with you. I think if we're comparing it to something like the Goosebumps movies that were recently released or, like, Halloween Town or Hocus Pocus or maybe some of these other things we'll end up talking about. Hey, man, you better watch your mouth. There are some Halloween Town stands. No, I know. I, 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 we weren't quite, we were a little over that age, get, uh, that age range. But, um, also I, you know, just for, for the purposes of this game, I was watching like quote unquote real horror at a pretty young age. So I'm not even like the best person to really talk to about this type of thing. But, but yeah, I feel I like think... that's how most horror hounds are though. It's like, they're like, right. yeah, I was watching fl- Chainsaw Massacre, The Exorcist, when I was eight. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, kid? <laughs> no, that's true. And, Richard, and, if you're listening. Richard, we're specifically talking about uh, <laughs> the alumni of the show, Richard. Um, but uh, I do think that it uh, it is good for in, in, in uh, comparison to those kind of movies. And I think that it is, I would say, uh, maybe on the later stages of that like definitely closer to 13 than five um yeah but it is 
and maybe that's why it's kind of a slightly awkward fit is it's like the age range that's very specific for that movie is like specifically tween. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like, like 10 to 13 year old would, right. would really like it. Um, so that I, when you suggested this game, that was literally the first movie I thought of because we watched it so recently. And I just remember feeling that way while I was watching it. Like, Man, I wish I was that age so that I could actually appreciate this because, like you said, it's it's not great as if you're a horror fan. And I and I felt like at the time I watched it, it felt a little too middling. But right. n- now, even now, thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, but that's sort of perfect for that group. And they they don't really make movies like that anymore, which is why I I think specifically it stands out to me is is that is a perfect sort of in-between movie. No, I agree. I agree. And it's, uh, it's a valid pick. It's a valid pick. Um, my first one, and the first movie I thought of in context to this 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 question, and this is a, a movie that I know scared a lot of people uh, around our ages, um, and that is The Return to Oz. Oh, okay. So... Everyone is familiar, I would think, with um, the original 1939 Wizard of Oz, the, you know, the musical. But uh, less people are maybe as as familiar with the, I want to say 1984, 1983. It's pretty, pretty old because I think it was the first movie that uh, Feruza Balk ever did. And it's a non-musical um, sequel, like unofficial sequel to The Wizard of Oz. And the conceit is basically that Oz was uh, taken over by an evil witch, another evil witch, a different evil witch, while Dorothy is, she's back in Kansas trying to convince all of her family that she went to this magical place and they all think she's crazy, so they send her to an insane asylum for shock treatment. And Jesus. Um, and uh, when she tries to escape with another with another patient, um, they get caught in this rainstorm, and her and her pet chicken, um, you know, get uh, get sent to back to Oz, where she, where all of Oz is now deteriorated, deteriorated, and has become apocalyptic. And um, um, the yellow brick ro- yellow brick road has been pulled out of the ground, and you know there's this uh, mysterious gnome king that uh, uh, rules over it, and this evil witch that's working for him. And there's all of these crazy like steampunky creatures and people that live in there. Um, specifically, this thing, these things called the Wheelers. They look very like something that would come out of like a Henson movie from the eighties, like, like the, uh, uh, the labyrinth or something kind of like that. That's sort of like post Jesus post new. Have you never seen the return to Oz? I never have bitch. You're going to watch the return (laughs) to Oz this month. Um, I'm like blown away that I'm describing this and you're like reacting as a person who's never seen this. Um, is it streaming? I don't know. I bet it's on Disney Plus. I would imagine it's on Disney Plus because they bought the rights to it. 
Um, if it's not, you you know, find whatever way you can to watch this crazy movie. But yeah, so basically she has to go on another little adventure. She picks up people along the way. There's kind of little analogs to like the scarecrow. And instead, it's this Jack Skellington looking guy here with the pumpkin head. And then um, there's a guy kind of kind of like the uh, kind of like the Tin Man, except for he's a wind up clock soldier. Um, and they got to go and you know, uh, defeat the Gnome King and restore peace back to Oz. Uh, but it's, there's some really freaky ass shit in this movie, even for kids. And I saw this very young age. Um, I mean, even the scarecrow, there is something wrong with his face. (laughs) I won't, I won't spoil the biggest scares in the movie, especially because you haven't seen it. Um, but it's a, it's a weird movie and and it's, it's very specifically dark um, in that, like, 80s, um, never-ending story-ish kind of way. But it's uh, maybe even a little bit more kind of horror light than some of the darker stuff in that. Um, but yeah, Return to Oz, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am deeply unsettled. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so my next pick was something that was kind of, uh, exactly what we're talking about for me. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, uh, a movie that I saw that I wasn't necessarily expecting it to scare me. And then I was like, Oh God, what is this? (laughs) Um, and I think, I think a lot of people in our age range can relate to this one. I, I don't know how popular Return to Oz was because again, I never saw it, but when when we were growing up there was you know there was a, a not a lot of uh strictly non-animated children's programming mm-hmm. uh and and one of the my favorite characters that stands out is my man Ernest P Worrell ah uh, okay this was on my list yeah and so the one of the movies is this is not like, what i thought you were going to say though oh okay Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, no, I'm talking about Ernest Scared Stupid. Now, for those of you uh, who might be a little bit younger and don't know who Ernest uh, is, he's this like reoccurring character played by Jim Varney, who, a uh, fun fact, apparently Ernest was a character that was he he in, he was like a character comedian who just like never hit big, mm-hmm. and so he created the Ernest character for like these local TV commercials. I want to say it was mattress commercials or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just sort of like gained popularity to the point where a little bit later in his life, he found success as this character who appeared in in multiple movies. And part of the shtick was he would play like multiple characters throughout the movie. So he would play the titular character, Ernest. Uh, Jim Varney was the actor's name. And he also played like this old lady character and uh, yeah. I can't even think of all the characters he played, but he was sort of like a, a young kid's white. Uh, what's the guy's name? Medea. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I would, I would say very similar to that. Yeah. It was a, um, I mean, Medea has its roots in, in Tyler Perry's like um, Tyler church, Perry. church plays that he would put on um, and like, you know, sort of an act he did. I mean, some might call yeah. it a drag show. Some might call it that. 
Um, but, uh, you know, and then it became this big movie franchise deal. Um, but Ernest it had kind of a similar, uh, you know, start. Yeah, Jim Barney like was some, like the, some, uh, some Eddie Murphy stuff in the 80s mm-hmm. had similar vibes. Peter Sellers um, the, did very similar things back when he was doing his thing. Yeah. Anyway. So Ernest is this character who goes on various adventures, uh, like he goes to camp, he goes to jail, he saves Christmas, and they did a, a spooky Halloween one um, called Ernest Scared Stupid. And in yeah. it, there is this troll, and it is, it is a troll that he accidentally brings back to life that was like trapped in this tree or whatever. And this troll's running around turning kids to stone. Mm-hmm. And it probably wouldn't be as scary if it as it is, except for the troll puppet is fucking disgusting and horrifying. <laughs> and like he has this giant nose and he's all leaky and and gooey and, and snotty. Ears. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just this horrifying creature makeup that's a they, good troll. That, it's a good troll. He is really trolly. And then at the um, end, there's multiple trolls because he he like plants them in the ground and they I I don't know. Did they get that from Troll? Like the movie Troll? Like, I, I feel I, like there was some stuff going on there. But you know, funnily enough, it's a better movie than either troll movie. Yes, absolutely. Uh it's I mean, it's pretty decent and it has some solid scares. Like I remember watching his mm-hmm. kid thinking I was just signing up for an earnest adventure. Uh, <laughs> you know, with his trademark shtick which is there but it's like tied into this genuinely disturbing horror where i mean characters don't die but they turn to stone so uh, functionally for the narrative they're being killed off um just in like a kid-friendly way and it is like i I remember there there's one scene in particular that uh, that i remember that is like nightmare feel that i don't want to give away for anybody who hasn't seen it but i know the moment um, you're talking about it's very similar in setup it's very similar in setup to the clown uh scene from the poltergeist poltergeist yeah um in fact it might have even been riffing on that a little bit but uh probably yeah it's a it's a good scare and it's (laughs) um by the way i'm looking right now there's some like really lit uh, Mondo posters for Ernest Scared Stupid. Really? Yeah. But yeah, I uh, I wholeheartedly endorse this choice. Um, so much so that it was on my short list, and uh, I did recently rewatch it. I watched it a couple years ago, just because I hadn't in forever, and I, I found it online and watched it. And it's it's I want to say it still kind of holds up. It might just be nostalgia goggles, but uh, I thought it was actually pretty cool. I mean, and there are, you know, there's a lot of Ernest movies. It's so funny how big this thing was that nobody remembers now. (laughs) Um, But uh, there were like Tom Green, like nobody fucking can appreciate, like unless you're our age or older, nobody can appreciate how fucking popular Tom Green was at a point in time. Um, But uh, same with Ernest. There were a bunch of movies, five or six of them, I want to say. And Ernest Scared Stupid is for me in the A or S tier of Ernest movies. There are much worse Ernest movies. Yes, especially some of the later ones. Yeah, that's for sure. All um, right, what else, what, are, what do you got? And R.I.P. Uh, Jim Varney, who also did the voice yeah. of Slinky Dog in the Toy Story movies. Yeah, he seemed like a good guy. 
Um, let's see. Where do I want to go next? Where do I want to go next? Oh, okay. I do want to. I do want to talk about this movie. Um, even though it is hashtag problematic at the mo, but um, and this is a movie I saw later in life, and I wasn't even like particularly in the age range that was uh, made for the film. Um, but I'm going to recommend uh, Harry Potter, specifically The Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, okay. I think Prisoner right. of Azkaban is the most Halloween-y of the series. You got a werewolf teacher. You mm-hmm. have the introduction of the Death Eaters. And you also a- have... And the Dementors, right? Oh, I like, might be confusing the two. I think you're yeah. thinking of the Dementors. Uh, the yeah. Dementors. The Dementors, yes. You have, which are like these ghostly, scary figures. Um, and then you also have like the whole mystery of Sirius Black. This like, we what we don't know yet what Sirius Black really is. But um, we're supposed to believe these is escape prisoners running around trying to hunt Harry Potter. Um, played by Gary Oldman. Uh, so I think uh, the Prisoner of Azkaban is... Um, one of the, I know like book fans, there's like strong opinions about how inaccurate this one is, but I think that it is, uh, one of the more fun of the Harry Potter movies. This is the first one that's not directed by, um, Chris Columbus. And Mm -hmm. I think that that really helps what's going on there. Um, it's, it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Um, who would later go on to do Gravity and Children of Men and, you know, these big Oscar-worthy things. But uh, I think that it is not just because of his direction, but it's also one of the first where the kids are a little older. It's Mm -hmm. uh, They're, you know, I think 13, 14 in the movie instead of like little, you know, little kids running around in robes and waving wands around. Um, and it, it kind of breaks away a little bit more from that, um, Hardy Boys adventure, um, mystery yeah. of the week. Yeah, I, I agree with you. This is the one where it, it really starts to open up the Harry Potter world to the larger narrative. Yeah. The first two are just sort of like adventures of the year kind of thing. And this is like, not everything is wrapped up for the first time. Mm-hmm. In the Harry Potter series, like uh, there's some lingering threads that are pretty dark and and ominous. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a dramatic tonal shift between the first two movies and this movie. Right. Yeah. I I think so. And also, like, and I know, like, book fans, this is one of the thing like points of contention. But it's also like the first where. The characters aren't in their school uniforms the whole movie. They're, they wear like street clothes and stuff like that. And it's just, it's shot darker. It's shot a little bit more cinematically. It has kind of a spookier, gothier sort of aesthetic to it than the other two movies. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, Werewolf Teacher. Yeah. And I think uh, also this is the one with the. Um Oh, there's the monster that pops out that, like, specifically, it's kind of like a little mini uh, Harry Potter versus Pennywise. Like, it takes on oh. the form of what you fear the most. I mean, there's so many monsters and all those. I, mean, I can't keep them all straight. Yeah, but the, I mean, that one is specifically related to scaring people. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I see your points. Um, I don't think general, there's there's I don't think there's a lot of Harry Potter movies that work singularly on their own. There's yeah. I would say maybe the first one, and and uh, maybe just this one, <laughs> this one and the first one. I think are the only ones that, that work on their own enough that you think, don't need. Um, the Goblet of Fire is a, a kind of stands alone too because it has the sort of like the self-contained kind of, um, but it ends on such a big cliffhanger that it really yes, begs it continuing. Yeah. Um, and it also there's a lot of there's a lot more of the overarching what's his name the Voldemort stuff going on in that movie. Um, That's true. So whereas this one is really a little less about that, but it it is ratcheting up the tension. More so than like the first two, which are decidedly kids movies. I mean, let's yeah, be real. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, but yeah, I can, I can see it. Right. I can see how, uh, if, if this is someone's favorite Harry Potter movie, it might lead them to a uh, darker affair. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, what, what else okay. do you have? What's another pick for you? So my number one with a fucking bullet was one of my favorite movies as a kid, like in this age range. Right. Um, I fucking loved this movie, even though sometimes when I first saw it, first couple times, it did scare me. Um, but in, in a fun way, not in a, not in a nightmares way, but in a, uh, like I just, you know, sort of the feeling of a good horror movie. Um, when I was a kid, I loved Loved, loved the Monster Squad. Um, yeah, I figured you would bring this up. I was almost yeah, going to like ban you from picking it, <laughs> but I figure. Hey, I haven't mentioned this movie a lot on the podcast, like <laughs> some other movies, like the <laughs> 1985 Transformers cartoon, right? Or the uh, or the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, um, which has some good horror elements. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Monster Squad. Uh, it was. Uh, written and directed, I believe, by Shane Black mm-hmm. um, of Shane Black fame. And it is about uh, a group of kids uh, that uh, stumble upon real life monsters and have to battle the forces of darkness. And when I say monsters, I mean like sort of updated 80s versions of all of the universal monsters. Yes. So there's Dracula, there's Wolfman, there's Frankenstein, uh, there's uh, a creature from the Black Lagoon. And, uh, I mean, I always tell, I mean, when I talk about this movie, I always say this was my Goonies, um, which I loved Goonies. Uh, I I think that's a fun movie too, but it never quite clicked with me the way this movie did. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like the way they, these kids would like, you know, hang out and have these nerdy conversations of like, who would win in a fight between, uh, you know, Frankenstein and Wolfman and stuff like that. To me, I was like, I related to that aspect of it, of like these kids being just, they're horror hounds specifically, but they're nerds. Um, yeah, and and I I think the monsters, they I think they do a really good job of updating these monsters in a way that doesn't make them feel corny. Um, uh, and I think that's I'm sort making, of the problem I'm with a lot a of. I'm making a gesture at that, but go ahead. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, there's some camp, there's some goofiness, but there, there are, oh, and mummy, there's a mummy. Um, but there are genuine moments of, of, I think, horror in it. And, uh, you know, that, but just enough for my, my developing brain to be like, oh, this is, I get why this is fun. And that's why what this movie did to me, it was it it helped me realize that horror can be fun. Um, uh, but I mean, yeah, there's some graphic stuff like when the wolfman blows up and all of his body parts like crawl towards each other and he like reassembles and stuff. Um, yeah. And it's a pretty funny movie. Um, there is some, uh, you know, problematic humor, um, but. Kind of anything. Yeah, any man, we will talk about that more next week. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, I love this movie as a kid. I still just get total waves of nostalgia when I watch it. It's pretty funny. Um, it's very quotable. Uh, Kick Wolfman and the Nards. Um, it was a t shirt uh, movie for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I would say, I like, um, maybe even more so, like, people will talk about Goonies, or they'll talk about E.T., or they'll talk about, you know, Stephen King's, like, Stand By Me and It, or whatever, as being these um, these major influences on uh, uh, Stranger Things. But I think maybe even more so than any of those, um, this movie is totally. a closer analog. Um, of course, like, I mean, Stranger Things is just a pastiche basically of all of this stuff this kind of yeah and i would also say that Spielbergian kids movie stuff and i would say that monster squad was also heavily influenced by these things you know right yeah uh, clearly like one of the main characters wears a shirt that says stephen king rules Uh, yeah yeah and so you know it's basically it is kind of like one of the reasons why stephen king wrote it is because he wanted he had to, he wanted to come up with a monster or a character or something so that he could include the Wolfman and Dracula and all, you know, the mummy and all of these things. So he created an entity that can change into whatever scares people. So it was his way of shoehorning all of his favorite, um, universal monsters into one story. So this is just basically the like kidified non sewer orgy version. <laughs> of the same kind of idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I just, I, I loved it. I, and I watched this when I was young. Like a lot of people. Uh, did. Yeah. Yeah. Like five or six, I think was the first time I saw it. This uh, was on know? TV a lot when we were younger. And also this was like a, like a video store staple. Totally. Um, and I think this is a great introduction to the world of horror because it's Mm -hmm. it's scary enough to be scary uh but also safe enough to not give you nightmares to not be too scary and it empowers the kids yeah you know it it, and and it has a genuinely pretty funny quippy clever script so it also doesn't feel pandering you know this is like when you can watch with with a younger audience and and also feel dumber for sure. And also, um, it literally 
introduces you to the world of horror because you're being introduced to all those characters for the first time. And if any of them interest you, if you're like, oh, I like Wolfman, I like Dracula, I like the mummy, totally. you can go back and watch either the Universal movies or the many sort of updates of them that have been made since then. And it could lead you into vampires or it could lead you into werewolves, which could then yeah. lead you into monster movies and on a you know more broader scale. So it is, I mean, this is horror film training wheels, like, very literally, yeah. I mean, they literally like have conversations where they break down the the rules for werewolves and the rules for vampires and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. And, but it's not quite as uh, adult themed as something like The Lost Boys, which does similar stuff with vampires. Right, and that's a movie that uh, could be on this list. Uh, I didn't include it because um maybe it's just a think, little bit older but I mean, yeah, not I by much not by much i think that's meant for more of a teenage audience so like you know like 16 year olds yeah 16 to 18 kind of thing right i mean this i mean that and lost boys in particular was a very big in my world of like friends and kids and stuff and you know especially if like comic book kids and stuff who are the heroes but I won't talk about that movie, um, largely because it kind of goes without saying. But uh, the one I wanted mm. to bring up, I feel is very not as well remembered in uh, that genre of like 80s horror light uh, kids fair. Everybody still kind of talks about Monster Squad. Um, everybody will talk about something like The Witches. Some people mm-hmm. still talk about Return to Oz and and Never Ending Story or The Labyrinth or whatever, any of those kind of things, um, Dark Crystal, what have you. But I don't hear anybody talk about Little Monsters anymore. Oh, and that movie shit. was yeah. in there with all that stuff. Um, this starred Fred yeah. Savage. Uh, Fred Savage right before... I literally... Didn't even think about that until you said it. I know it's kind of become it's kind of like gone to obscurity, and I, I and maybe it sucks like really bad, and I just haven't seen it long enough to realize that. <laughs> um, but I remember it being like kind of, kind. I mean, it's kind of creepy. So the basic idea of it is Fred Savage, and this is right around the time he had just started uh, the Wonder Years. Um, but Fred Savage. Uh, has a boogeyman, a monster under his bed, played by Howie Mandel. This is, you know, Howie Mandel was every weird makeup character in the 80s and 90s. But this is one of... Jones of his day. It kind I mean, it's pretty strange how often he was in strange makeup. Um, he was also in that movie, the, oh, that show on television show, The, the Sea Monkeys. And, uh, oh, and... Oh, did not like that for us. <laughs> and in uh, Rock and Rhymes, he played uh, uh, the uh, the Egg King. Whatever. What's the what's the rhyme with the the egg? Oh the yeah 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 yeah. Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty. Yes. Anyway, so in this, he plays he plays a monster underneath Fred Savage's bed, but he's like a cool party monster. You know, he dresses like a punk rocker and he has a big earring and and uh, he invites. Uh, Fred Savage down to the he, world of the monsters under his bed, which is like ruled by this evil monster. And Fred Savage and his kids uh, and his like kid friends, his like neighborhood friends, 
um, in sort of a Goonies-ish uh, way or whatever, have to go down into the monster world and defeat, you know, these evil monsters or whatever using, like, light bulb suits because their light is what makes these things die or afraid or whatever. It's been a minute since I've seen this movie, so I'm really going off vague memories here. Um, wasn't there, wasn't the conceit of this movie kind of like um, Monsters, Inc., too? Like, weren't these monsters, like, feeding off of the fear of children or something like that? Possibly. There's something going on. I, I mean, there's a bigger reason why they have to go down there. There's also more than one movie called Little Monsters that I'm seeing now in the uh, Google image search. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to find the scariest monster from that, but... Uh, because there was this, like, big, fat gangster monster who had, like, this under chin that would pull his bottom lip down really low. And it, he had, like, really sharp teeth, and it was just terrifying. But, yeah, this was, like, uh, I think towards the end of the 80s, maybe even possibly 1990 or so. Um, and of all of those movies that we were talking about, these kind of, like, kid flick, adventure, dark, you know, nerd stuff. Uh, this one has been totally lost to obscurity. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I remember, yeah, I, I remember I saw this movie once when I was a kid and I was like, I, I remember I was kind of hesitant because it had the name monster in the title and I was like, I don't <laughs> know. And like, even <laughs> Howie Mandel is a little creepy and it's, yeah. and there's just something about the way 80s movies were shot like the lighting like even if it's for kids it's gonna have some weird lighting going mm -hmm. on and uh well, I you think know this like in even non used like really dramatic filtered lighting for the monsters monster land or whatever yeah but i mean even like non monster stuff like masters of the universe you know it <laughs> could have some mm. creep vibes at times because of the way it was shot like yeah and that's a that's a bad movie um <laughs> so you know i remember seeing it i was like i remember i saw it once and it was fine and i saw it again i was like that was i don't i don't, I don't like it anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a little too much well, it kind of freaked you out i don't know i i think uh uh, yeah, I don't know. I would have weird relationships with movies when I was a kid, but I think everybody does, especially stuff that's meant to be kind of scary. Um, yeah, I think this is a solid pick. I remember liking it as a kid, and and uh, I want to see it again. Yeah, I'm but it, I don't actually know. very curious if it holds up. Yeah, I might have to. I might even have to like shell out the three ninety nine on Amazon to to watch it, but I'd be willing to do so if it's on there. Uh, cool. Uh, yeah, so if you're interested in horror or think you know a kid that that might be the thing for them, uh, I think this is all a list of solid movies to uh, potentially give them some nightmares. Yeah, well, that's always the Or goal. stuff to watch on Halloween night. Yeah. All right. Update. Quick update. Oh. Quick okay. update. Little Monsters is available on Amazon Prime. Well, there you go. Let's go ahead and start talking about the main review for the week, uh, which is a documentary um, that came out a, a few weeks ago by Arthur Jones named Feels Good Man, uh, which is in reference to uh, the famous Pepe meme, uh, Pepe the Frog, which uh, this film sort of chronicalizes from its inception 
uh, as a like tertiary character in an underground comic uh, called. Uh, do you remember the name of the Boys Club? I think is the, the name of the original comic it's from. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, by Matt Fury. Yeah, Matt Fury, um, who is this uh, kind of unassuming Bay Area like hipster guy, slacker guy who just had this. Uh, this small little comic that he would promote and he worked on. He was an illustrator, and but he also he also did other jobs and stuff too. While he was, um, you know, going to conventions and stuff like this, and he just he happened to like to draw this little frog character doing silly things in his apartment with his other like animal uh, anthropomorphized friends who were living in an apartment together, being twenty somethings basically. And uh, one day. A, a single frame of this comic um, in which the character Pepe the Frog is peeing with his pants all the way down, is caught in the bathroom with uh, uh, peeing standing up with his pants all the way down. And one of his friends says, um, you know, why do you pee like that or whatever? And uh, uh, Pepe says, I don't know. Feels good, man. And that one still frame um, started getting passed around on the internet, uh, starting in MySpace, going that that far back, um, and then it's eventually adopted by a sort of uh, um, specific type of internet user who uh, trolls around on 4chan. You know these these twenty uh, somethings who feel less than or who feel um, underappreciated or uh, like they uh, like they are sort of reveling in their uselessness and they they latch on to this character for some reason and as many might know if you have depending on how online you are um 4chan is a completely anonymous website um uh and it is kind of the precursor to what we have now with reddit which i think Reddit, the person who invented reddit was like a 4chan user who wanted to sort of fix 4chan basically um, and make it more user friendly and like less toxic. And one of the one of the issues, of course, in online is the more anonymous things are, the ugly, the uglier things can get fast. Um, and you know, once upon a time, uh, 4chan was used for a lot of like um, left wing causes and things like that. That's where the group Anonymous came from, um, and that's where they originated. And then at some point. Somewhere around the time of Gamergate and things like that, um, it became a lot more infested with like young, misogynistic, white, hopeless men um, who uh, started turning Pepe, this meme, into a more and more sort of deranged and uh, divisive figure online and it became less about you know this sort of outsider character that they were attaching themselves to and more and more into this anti-social un-pc at all costs character and yeah yeah who would like he like it wasn't uncommon to see pepe the frog with like a machine gun uh you know like as a as a school shooter or as an actual literal full-blown Nazi. Right. Or as like a uh, Jewish caricature or um, mm. as, yeah, or as a like 
a member of ISIS or something like that. And it, it, the game started to become the more extreme it could be, the quote unquote funnier it was to to these types on 4chan. Yeah, like it, there was a, a period of time where it was like, let's make the most offensive joke possible. And then it slowly sort of felt like it was bleeding away uh, to where it wasn't a joke anymore. It was just like, right. let's, let's just be as offensive as possible. Um, yeah, which... Which kind of culminates in 2016 when uh, the rise of the um, the alt-right alongside the, uh, the Trump campaign um, sort of infiltrate these online groups and these, these online movements, and it's kind of hard to see where one starts and the other ends as far as that goes. Um, it's sort of a chicken-egg yeah. situation where they always, you know, was it the alt-right that, you know, adopted the 4chan or did the 4chan adopt the alt-right? I'm not sure exactly when and how or, it happened. Or did 4chan breed the alt-right, yeah. Right, yeah, and it's hard to say. And now, you know, we have 8chan, which is even worse, and blah, blah, blah. So... This documents all of that. And I think what's, for me, the, the most interesting aspect of it is we're always keeping in touch with Matt Fury, who has so nothing to do with any of this <laughs> and would rather not have anything to do with it. Like, he's not even a particularly p- political person, um, you know, outside of just a general sort of sense of being like a left coast liberal but you know it's it's, it's not it doesn't drive his his sense of being or anything like that he just wanted to come up with you know funny characters for his little comic strip and mm-hmm. he ends up being forced into a situation where he has to to defend the um intellectual property of this character he created which has now become a hate symbol and then you get into like sort of the the discussion of memetics and meme culture and the evolution of a meme and how that all happens and you know at what at some at what point does does something sort of become so woven into the cultural fabric that it's not doesn't belong to anybody anymore mm-hmm. um and you know we'll probably as we get further into this discussion i can talk about how you know, Pepe has been reappropriated now by the left. And I see Pepe a lot used um, uh, to troll the right rather than than back and forth. So it, it's it's well, this yeah, whole crazy that's, world. That's uh, once it becomes uh, literally registered as a hate symbol by the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, mm-hmm. That's when Matt Fury decides that he's like, you know, this kind of he, he tries to reclaim Pepe and. Mm-hmm. And make Pepe a symbol for love and peace because he's, you know, he's kind of a hippie. Yeah. Uh, and he <laughs> hates that this creation of his has become literally a symbol for hate. So he tries the documentary. The second half of it is sort of him trying to reappropriate his own symbol. Right. It, there's a little bit of Camp Fight City Hall, David and Goliath story in here. Um you know, sort of, uh, sort of around the periphery of this larger story of just kind of where pop culture and political culture and where pranks and propaganda all blur into one gray mess. Yeah. So, what did you think of Feels Good Man? Uh, when you, 
so when you told me we had to watch this, I had zero fucking interest um, because I hate Pepe. I think Pepe is disgusting. I think he's a gross little <laughs> monster. Uh, I've never found Pepe appealing. I just I don't like him. I don't like the character design. <laughs> and I was like, I well, don't want to watch a fucking to be two-hour fair, movie. To, uh, to be fair, very few people have actually seen uh, Pepe as drawn by Matt Fury. Most well, people yeah, so- see like a shitty paint document version of him, like 70 layers so that's, into that's the where meme. i'm going with this yeah that that's exactly where i'm going with this when you told me to watch this i was like i don't fucking want to watch this i hate pepe he's <laughs> gross he's a nazi like um and i'm i'm also kind of late to the game with knowing pepe was a nazi like uh i i didn't i didn't know all like that there was this sort of internal struggle with this character <laughs> um like i just thought he was an ugly little dude um, and and here's the thing. I think a lot of memes are very ugly, and and they they're that way on purpose because it's like uh, these sort of meme characters, like the angry guy, the troll face, the you know, mm-hmm. like a, a lot of it is like these sort of simplified. Uh, they're grotesque. They're literally the definition of grotesque. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wojans. The um, yeah. The NPCs. And I just I don't. I don't like it. It's it's gross and usually makes me feel gross. <laughs> um, so I was not looking forward to this. Um, but then with like all the cute little animation and uh, the, the character comics of Matt Fury and and Pepe in context uh, with the other characters, I was like, oh, I get the style now. I get why how this is a stylized character i get the design of it i get i get the appeal um because you don't see the whole character you don't see the whole comic strip when, in these memes it literally got all cropped out to this fucking stoner looking frog face just saying <laughs> feels good man mm-hmm. um that later was so reproduced and so copied and and like and people doing makeup tutorials that look really gross and, and just like <laughs> it gets so spiraled away from what the original character design was that I'm like, oh, well, now I think he's kind of cute. Is that <laughs> weird? <laughs> um, I don't think it, you it know, should I, be. I, I, yeah, I think his character design um, is, you know, it sort of feels, uh, especially the animation that they do in the movie um, which is sort of an updated uh, uh, there's sort of these animated sequences um, portraying the character's journey. And it has sort of uh, an adult swim quality to the animation, but like, but like lighthearted and, 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 you know, he just, he just meant to be sort of this cute little sweet guy telling these cute little sweet stories that are just like you said, meant to be like, just kind of unassuming dudes hanging out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so after that, I was like, I immediately felt bad for this creator, um, you know, and, and he didn't, in fairness, he didn't, when it sort of first started becoming a meme, he's not very protective of his character. He, you know, he's just like, Oh, whatever, you know, like it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know he's ma- he's making his comics and 
And what does he care what people are doing with it online? Like, I get that. Yeah, and, um, and for him, it's all free promotion, right? So when you're a, uh, a, a independent um, artist like that or an independent creator, yeah. all of that stuff, it only helps you because you can't pay for people to, to make one of your characters viral. Totally, um, yeah. And, you know, he's also not particularly plugged in. He doesn't really know what's going on on 4chan. He doesn't really know what's going on with the alt-right and stuff like that. So it spirals I mean, way out of hand before he's even clued in. Totally, yeah. And, and like, one of his friends gets a Pepe tattoo, and then later he's like, <laughs> I kind of regret this. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah. In, in, and I think they use Pepe the Frog uh this sort of narrative to sort of talk about the the bigger story here like you said is more about just the rise of this alt right online culture um and this this very toxic sub community um and how and how you know kind of what we were talking about with like alt right in 4chan, you know, similar with Donald Trump, like which one's chicken and the egg, mm-hmm. you know, did 4chan elect Donald Trump or did Donald Trump ride the the viral success of, of a weird mimetic Nazi campaign? I who knows? Um, I don't think it was necessarily planned, but it definitely one benefited the other. Right. Um, and I, I don't. There's been some people, especially at the time in 2016, you hear this less now, but because I think now we're getting a bigger, fuller picture of, especially now we're getting a bigger, fuller picture of like how, you know, hardwired a lot of this is just in American culture, period. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was sort of the joke or, you know, dark joke, if you will, of it was was Donald Trump memed into pre- presidency. Um, and yeah. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case, um, but I do think it he, the, there was a large online component to his to his uh, campaign. And a lot of it was based on like meme culture and trolling and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And maybe at one point it was a joke and maybe it wasn't. One thing I'll say is very interesting about that whole discussion of the film, because the whole thing isn't about Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump no. is kind of like. The uh, deuce, the not the deuce ex machina, but the uh, reductio ad absurdum of the entire thing, um, mm-hmm. essentially. Like it's it's the Godwin's law, except for you know the other thing. Um, but what I do think is really interesting is talking about the internet, talking about memes, talking about the twenty sixteen election. Nobody in this documentary ever brings up Russia, which yeah. Um, there's lots of schools of thought on how much Russia did or did not contribute to the election of Donald Trump. Again, I think like me personally, this is just me personally. I'm not not, uh, the MacGuffin website or anything. Um, me personally, Cassidy Robinson, uh, I think like the Pepe thing, we're learning more and more about how hardwired these sentiments Mm -hmm. are baked into the cake of American culture. And, you know, now we're just now sort of coming to terms with, you know, dealing with the fact that, that, uh, that a Donald Trump or that a, um, 
you know, a, a, a far right exists um, pretty healthily in this country without the aid of any of the above. It's there and it's kind of always been there. Um, yeah. And it's, it's there and it's exploitable pretty for easily people who, who want to exploit it because they want to be exploited. Like, right. uh, yeah. And I, uh, yeah. And like you said, um, the movie's not really about that. It's not really about Donald Trump. It's not really about all that stuff. It's it's more about like how this character, how just this image, this one image can so completely spiral out of control. Right. And ultimately it ends up, you know, there are a lot of uh, Pepe the Frog memes that are directly tied to Donald Trump because a lot of people felt that he was this real life troll saying the stuff in real life that they were saying online so it's mm-hmm. it's less about donald trump and more about how how the symbology of this character found itself on a parallel path as donald trump mm-hmm. um uh, so yeah the documentary itself isn't overtly political um oh i think it's very political but i it's not political in the sense of like it's coming from a yeah uh, it's coming it's, from like a uh it's not it's it, this isn't like a left-wing propaganda or anything like that it's not yes it's yeah. more of a cultural criticism overall um but i think yeah. it's it's inherently political just based upon you know the the topics at hand but um but yes i i i don't think that it it's not in well, anyone's what corner. i mean is it, it's not it's not like you know a michael moore kind of thing where it's not it's, a polemic yeah, yeah. It, uh, it deals with politics, but again, I, I think it's more about internet culture and and the use of symbology. And, uh, you know, there's even some discussion of uh, magic and, <laughs> and, and, you know, magical thinking, um, which is becoming more and more in vogue um, in the past decade or so. Um, you know, and magic requires sigils and and things like that. So I also think it's, it's more, it's about, um, I mean, talk about separating the art from the artist. Uh, but usually that discussion sort of goes the other way, um, where the artist is a fucking shit bag and it's like, can we still appreciate this stuff? Right. (laughs) Whereas in this, it's like the the message of the art got so far away from the artist um, uh, for, for, you know, sort of these, these bad actors wanting to, to take advantage of, of that and, mm-hmm. and how it spun out of control and now, you know, and how like it's once a uh, character, once a, uh, an image reaches a certain life how do you put that genie back in the bottle or um i mean i mean i thought this documentary was incredibly fascinating i Mm -hmm. um i i was it was not at all what i was expecting it to be and you know i think it's if nothing else it's going to be a fascinating little time capsule for what um you know early internet life was like because you know the the internet and how we live with the internet is constantly changing constantly evolving um right uh, our our brains are still catching up to it in a lot of ways you know we 
I still, you know, I still don't think we are prepared for life with this kind of connectivity. Uh, and it's, it's interesting to have a movie that sort of chronicles that and how kind of in a way, how any of us can be a victim to this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's, um, we're talking about a lot of heady subjects and it's, it, it sounds like it could be very depressing, but I think one of the things that makes it, uh, uh, a successful documentary and just a successful viewing experience is it's actually pretty light for considering yeah. the topics and funny. I think, you know, Matt Fury as a person is just a very like quirky, funny, just like the, you know, the original Pepe drawing. He's, it's, it's, he's very unassuming and a, mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a weirdo, but in the most benign way. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he, like, he kind of brings a lot of, like, light to this and, like, a lot of the, the talking heads that they bring on to talk, uh, about it, um, you know, both from the worlds of animation and the worlds of politics, from the worlds of magic, from the worlds of, you know, uh, news and whatever. Um, all of them are, are bringing interesting insights, but the, the animation, like the interstitial animation mm-hmm. is kind of keeping things light and colorful. And even like what I think is the centerpiece of the movie, essentially, when, when, uh, Matt Fury goes head to head with Alex Jones, um, who, yeah, from, yeah. In, from Infowars, who, uh, was using the character to sell merch on his website and on, uh, from the Infowars, uh, broadcast. Um, and they had to go head to head, even those, like when you, when you kind of like step away, like you take a bird's eye of the whole thing and you're watching these two argue about the meaning of a cartoon frog. It's, it's funny. It's like, it's sort of darkly humorous. And I mean, I, and also like, yeah. And something I think is interesting is you sort of get to see, uh, Alex Jones outside of his character, which, you know, in, in on his show, he's portraying himself as a very uh, specific type of person. It's literally to sell his fucking weird ass supplements and shit. Yeah. Um, and so I think, like you said, there is a lightness to this movie and there is a, a sense of humor about it. Um, and ultimately, I think the core of this movie is one of of sweetness and and one of love and i i do think it ends on kind of an optimistic note Mm -hmm. um uh you know it he i don't want to give too much about the ending away but um the character of pepe isn't done evolving from just the the uh nazi memes um that that sort of took him over yeah, and like I said, if you're depending on how online you are, um, I've seen a lot of the characters that were, you know, alt right memes in 2016 are now uh, being used uh, unironically by the left, and I think it's uh, you know there's sort of an, a reappropriation of some of this stuff. It's like you know, it's like we'll destroy. You, the, these these original meanings and 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 just muddy the waters so much. Um, they're basically using their own tactics against them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, yeah, you see the Wojaks, you see the NPCs, you see the 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 Trad girlfriend and the Chads and all of these characters that uh, uh, came out of 4chan and the all right are now. I see them all over the place on like socialist Twitter. Hmm. 
Um, so it's it, it, we're definitely uh, all of these things are sort of always in flux, and all of these characters and you know I mean there's certain things that are that are pretty fixed. I think no one's going to successfully reappropriate the swastika. <laughs> like that's that's kind of it is what it is. That's um, there forever. Yeah, but but that was also a symbol that existed. Before, uh, before yeah. the internet, you know, like, I, I think that's specifically, you know, something that was sort of born of the internet, I think has that sort of liquid quality where it is still malleable, whereas, uh, you know, symbols that, that are so strong that existed before that are going to be really hard to, to um, reclaim. Right, exactly, exactly, and shouldn't, and you know, arguably shouldn't be, but um, yeah. yeah, I think that this is a really fascinating documentary. I think there's a ton of discussion here. I don't even think you have to be, you know, um, critical of the right wing or whatever. I think you can come from more than one political um, perspective and get something out of this, especially if you're just a person who's grown up with the internet. Um. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you, totally. or you're a person who's really interested in illustration and underground comics and that world. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to enjoy this, uh, and I think it's a really smart, like one of the better documentaries I've seen in a while. Like, as far as like modern documentaries, um, uh, I think it, it handles this subject with a ton of nuance. Totally, I, I agree. Um, so what letter grade? Great. Are you going to give feels good, man? I'm going to give it an A. I mean, it's uh, there's kind of nothing like it. Um, so it's hard to really gauge yeah. it in that way. But it's uh, but I um, I was never really thinking about like, ooh, I wouldn't have done that, or ooh, I could have trimmed this, or whatever. Like I was just along for the ride. Uh, totally. I actually I gave it the same thing. I give it an A because I think. I think it's a really entertaining movie and uh, like I said, chronicles a really interesting uh, period in time in, in a way that doesn't make you want to kill yourself. Like <laughs> a lot of uh, the news and stuff right now does. So, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Which agree. is, I think Check its it biggest out. accomplishment is that it's talking about all the stuff we don't want to hear about right now, but you don't feel like just collapsing in on yourself when you're done with it. Unlike a half an hour on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into the streaming homework, which uh, is the film Images from 1972. Uh, This is directed by Robert Altman. And um, we uh, recommend this off of the streaming service Shudder, which we said last week, um, even if you're not a subscriber to it, there's a lot of especially around the uh, October and stuff. There's, there's a lot of like 30 day trials and stuff you can go find online and it's um, to be able to, to see some of these movies we're talking about. Um, and some of them do uh, are uh, streaming free on other services as well. So why don't you describe the movie images? So the movie images is, a, uh, it's from the seventies. It's very seventies. Um, uh, it's about this mm-hmm. woman I'm not sure where they lived, but uh, it seems it, like England. English, yeah. It's definitely European vibes. Yeah, because uh, wherever England, they live, Scotland, they live somewhere like somewhere that. that fairly affluent couple um, that has both like a house in the city and this 
cottage in the cabin uh not a cabin it's like a, it's a pretty big nice house in itself yeah, um but like country out in the countryside yeah um yeah and there's this woman who uh she's living with her husband and she starts to to experience these things that are are she's pretty certain are not real um mm-hmm. uh uh so she starts like getting phone calls from um, this woman that sounds like her. Uh, she see she starts talking to this guy who um, uh, might be a former husband, um, a, or, a dead husband, or, or or a former lover, just a complete or just a complete concoction of her imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so she starts seeing and hearing these things that aren't uh, happening in the real world. Um, and, and then they uh, encounter, uh, uh, I guess sort of a family friend with his daughter um, who spends some time with them at the, uh, this vacation cottage. Um, and as the movie goes on, she starts having harder and harder time knowing what's real and, and what's really happening. If these advances are really happening um, or mm-hmm. if, if something else is going on um, until it just sort of spirals more and more out of control until she seems to kind of find a peace with it. Um, uh, but yeah, that's basically the movie is, is like a trail of schizophrenia really. Yeah, this is a psychodrama, um, pretty cut and dry uh, as as far as that. It's, you know, as as um, stock as this genre can be, um, uh, which is to say, it's a it's a difficult genre to do one way. But uh, I definitely see the roots of of this in something like Roman Polanski's Repulsion. Um, or, uh, if you want to go back even a little bit further to something like Carnival of Souls, um, which is a little bit more of a, like, B-movie version of a similar kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's, 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 uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting piece. Um, you know, I think a lot of people kind of think of Robert Altman as the guy who did MASH in Nashville, and these, like, big ensemble adult comedies Mm. from the, from the 70s. And yeah, this is pretty. Um, this is pretty intimate compared to that. This, you know, it's yeah. Uh, for the most part, you know, uh, I think four characters max, um, maybe five, uh, in pretty much just in these two locations of like this, um, country home and this in this city house. Um, I gotta be honest though, I think the seventies vibes of this movie kind of uh, keep it back a little bit i i think it's i mean this is a pretty slow moving movie um uh i will say it's got some good fall vibes it's fall as fuck um <laughs> yeah i'm actually it, surprised that really that shutter picked it up because i mean yeah. it's um it has some moments and stuff like there's some bloodletting that happens in the film and it's definitely deals with a certain type of psychological horror, I guess you could say. Um, I also thought a lot about the uh, that short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, which might have been yeah. an influence on this. Um, there is some literary stuff going on in this as well, because she's reading from a book that's uh, used as narration in different parts of the film. Um, yeah, yeah. 
But it is, I would say that it's a, a little bit more on the drama side of things of the psychodrama genre. And, and I mean, it does build to some stuff, um, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it does take a while to get there. And, and honestly, like, I don't know if there was, I just, I couldn't really connect with this movie. Um, it, I mean, I think there's some really interesting visual stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like there's some really interesting shots and, and things like that, that I, I kind of expected to pay off a little bit more. Um, like the, like it has this tendency to focus on, like on inanimate objects, um, uh, throughout in, in like sort of in these scenes on, on things that you think might be important, but kind of aren't ever. Um, I don't know that I, I feel like this is, this is kind of the thing that I feel like I would expect to be forced to watch in film school. <laughs> to be honest, and uh, I don't necessarily mean that as a compliment. Uh, I mean, I watched some good stuff in film school, but or in mm-hmm. my film class. Uh, but this, I think, is a little on the drier side. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I think there are um, there are movies in this vein, um, even at the, this time. You know, even t- uh, talking about the the movies that I said might have been an influence, like Carnival of Souls or Repulsion, or even other Polanski films like Rosemary's Baby and stuff like that, um, that approach some of this a little sharper and a little bit more yeah. uh, with a little bit more tension and drama. Um, this is a little bit a little bit more kind of dreamlike and 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 surreal, and that can be cool. And I think. Um, Altman himself sort of uh, came back to this sort of stuff in the film Three Women, which deals a lot in like uh, identity and like and uh, uh, characters fracturing and that kind of stuff. And uh, you could also compare this to something like both Three Women and this film to something like uh, Ingmar Bergman's um, uh, Persona, which and I think all those movies, the movies that I'm talking about, are quite a bit more interesting than this one. Um, things that are cool about it. I, I'm glad I saw it, and there I, I get why, I get why there might be some sort of cult yeah. um, status for this film, um, based upon some of the stuff in here. And actually, the, yeah. one of the movies I think I directly lifted from this movie, down to the score, this like weird kind of plinky, plucky uh, violin score, like picked fingered violin string score. Um, down to the uh, cottage home in the middle of nowhere is the Darren Aronofsky film Mother was, I think, lifting a lot from this film. You know, these 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 visitors or guests who might be there, who might not be there, who might be torturing her. Or she might be torturing herself. And these questions of sanity and 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 domesticity and all yeah. of this stuff. Um, that movie kind of takes it to a degree. But, uh, but yeah, I think that movie is like almost an update of this movie. Uh, something that I sort of thought was more interesting than sort of what the movie was about, uh, you know, on paper was about was, um, just kind of, again, the, their relationship with this friend and how like, uh, comfortable he was sexually assaulting her and, and like how the husband did not seem to give a shit. And like, I thought that sort of stuff was, I, 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 I just was like, 
I kind of don't care as much about the issue or is she not insane? I kind of want them to deal with this fucking bastard. Um, but I don't know. I like, I think that's definitely from a, a lens of I live in 2020 looking back at this thing in the 70s kind of thing. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Right. There's just, well, I, I don't think that that stuff is not there for any reason. I think, yeah, no, definitely talking about, um, you know, being a wife and being, you know, the, the issue of fidelity comes up a lot throughout the film. Um, she, you know, she's paranoid that her husband's cheating on her. And then she starts to see these old lovers who maybe she was cheating with at some point and are like these apparitions of guilt. No, it's, that- it's not that it, it, it's not that the stuff is there on accident, but it, mm-hmm. it just, it just sort of feels like not talked about in a way that I think is very interesting. I don't know. I like, like he is a creep. Uh, but sometimes I can't tell if he's a creep for the reasons I think he's a creep. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I I um, think the characters in question are a larger symbolic um you know, I think the only the only two people that we know yes. can know for certain exist in the film are her and her husband. Um and that's even yeah. somewhat questionable. But you know, those two characters we know are for the most part fixed. Everybody else um, seem to be playing off different, um, uh, you know, mirrors or images, rather, of their relationship. And, like, she seems very, like, sexually unsatisfied mm-hmm. by her husband, and he doesn't seem particularly interested in her. And she starts to see these sexually aggressive apparitions or these friend characters that are sort of morphing. There's this young girl becomes a surrogate mother to this young girl, but then there's there's also this question of whether the girl is like her inner child in, it's personified. The the puzzle they're putting together um you know is essentially the house that they're currently in. So all of this stuff is I think really interesting and I wanted to be more involved with it on a rhythmic yeah. filmic level than I was just on an intellectual level. Yeah. No, I agree. It kind of, like, this movie is, you know, it has a very 70s pace to it. It, it kind of feels like a folk album come to life. Um, <laughs> definitely a psych folk album, though. A psych folk album. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it definitely has some, some dark <laughs> stuff, but um, I don't know. I just, I wasn't super into it. I, I think it's a little overlong. Um, uh, like I do think there were some moments and some, and some stuff and maybe it's just like my ADHD 2020 adult brain was like (laughs) cut, cut away from something for the love of God. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. I just, I felt pretty cold to this and, and I just couldn't really, and I, I Mm -hmm. recognize it wasn't a bad movie. Um, uh, I don't think it was a bad movie by any means. I just. I just couldn't, I couldn't ever feel like, I don't know, in, in a way that I felt re- relating to it or in, or in a way that I was like more interested in it than a purely like a, yeah, this is a 70s thriller kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I, mean? I get you. And I, that's, I mean, I was there with you. I was, there were definitely stretches of the movie where I'm like, okay, like, let's pick it up. Let's, let's do something. And yeah, I, I think by today's standards, it's, it's a fairly slow film. Um, 
even when it gets into like the more shocking elements or the violence or whatever, it, it doesn't quite have the impact of even films around this time that were dealing in violence. Um, but and I, and I, is it Robert Altman's finest hour? Not even close. No. Is it an interesting, you know, psychological drama from the seventies? I think kind of, especially early on films dealing with like sort of like yeah. female centered characters and like vaguely feminist subtexts and things like that. This you can write some you can write some papers yeah. on this movie. I'll say that. You definitely write some papers on this movie. Yes. Is it like super entertaining? I mean, if that's your bag, sure. I but that's what I mean when I say this feels like a movie I would watch in film school. Like this yeah. feels like the type of thing I should write a paper on, which is fine. Yeah. Um it's it's totally watchable, um, mm. but it's it's a little slow and a little old. I don't I don't even want to just blame it on the time period or things like that because I do think there are movies that came before it and after it, not very long after it, that were more mm. entertaining and more engaging dramatically than this movie um, that is you know, I think specifically uh, Repulsion um, if you, if, if people for whatever reason did see this and haven't seen Repulsion, you're definitely going to get more out of that. Um, even uh, Robert Altman's Three Women um, which has you know, a more exciting cast, and I think is him kind of coming back to this type of thing again, but with a little bit more sophistication, and um, and and really sort of like leaning into the dream logic and that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, even Persona, if you can deal with Swedish films, black and white Swedish films with subtitles, it's a, it's fine. Um, so this Halloween, I'm feeling kind of some vampire vibes, and I wanted to go back to a, um, what's touted as a vampire classic from the 80s that I have never seen. Um, I want to go back to the original 1985 version of Fright Night, directed by Tom Holland. It's available on, uh, streaming on... Not the young actor who plays Spider-Man. You can check it out. We're going to watch it via streaming uh, for free on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. I think it's on Shudder as well. And uh, this is a list of shamer for me. I've never seen the original Fright Night. I've seen the the, the remake with Anton Yelkin and uh, and uh, uh, Colin Farrell, which I liked. But yeah, I've, I've been I've been meaning to watch the original for a long, long time, and just never did. Cool. Um, so watch that along with us and, uh, you know, let us know what you think about it. Um, you can send us your, your thoughts via Twitter or email. Uh, and that is where I turn it over to you because I don't like this boring part. <laughs> uh, you can contact us on our uh, social media at MacGuffin Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow us on Facebook at or uh, Facebook.com slash MacGuffin Pod. And you can email us your thoughts at uh, MacGuffinPod at gmail.com. Um, I haven't checked that in a while, but I just want to go in there. And if we have anything to read, I'll read it on air. You can follow me individually on Twitter at BC Cassidy. And like I said, I share um, things from my record collection on my Instagram, if you care at all about that. Um, uh, VC Cassidy on Instagram. And be sure to read the other articles at the website, mcguff.in. Keith, what is, uh, what's your thing? 
You can follow me on the fetid cesspool that is Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. Um, you can also check me out on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. I haven't posted anything in a while, but I update my stories, so watch those, I guess. Um, and you can also follow my art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Or you can just log out of all of it and watch a movie. Or read a book that got turned into a movie. <laughs> Right. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's going to be it for this week. Feels good, man. Bye.